Bonjour everyone, you're listening to I Just Want to Read the Podcast. I'm your host, Jean-Philippe. In today's episode, we're going to be talking to Erika Edler, a personal chef. Hello, Erika. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me on. No, thank you for being with us. So, Erika, can you tell us a bit about you? Oh, absolutely. Um, I am a personal chef by trade. I went to culinary school in, I think, 2017 or 2018. After a brief career in healthcare consulting, decided that wasn't quite for me, went to culinary school and have been working as a personal chef ever since. That's the, you know, the easy descriptor. Um, I do a lot of, I wear a lot of other um, hats in the food world as well. I do content creation. I have a YouTube channel. I teach cooking classes. I write ebooks. I do the typical millennial thing of just doing a million different things and it all falls under that fun umbrella of food. And the YouTube channel is fairly new. It's been a couple of weeks. How is it going? Yeah, <laughs> it's great. Um, like we were just talking about before you press record, I'm, you know, I'm learning the editing process. I'm teaching myself a new skill. It's been really interesting doing that, but I'm enjoying it so far. It does feel like a really nice way to connect with people in a longer format. I, you know, I have a really active and fun Instagram community, but, uh, you know, it's hard to put things into a 15 second clip. So it's been fun to do things in a little bit of a longer format. Yes, but it's true that with all the social media, it's a full-time job. Just doing all of that mm -hmm. takes a <laughs> lot of time. So can you tell us, Erika, why you decided to go to culinary school You had a full-time job, but you decided to make that transition to go back to school. Tell us why, please. Um, just a little bit about my background. I had been working in healthcare consulting, and while I was working in healthcare care consulting, came down with an autoimmune disease. And I liked my job at the time, but um, the autoimmune disease kind of forced me to get into the kitchen. I did not grow up cooking. I'm more of a just I I've always loved to eat and I grew up you know eating in really spectacular restaurants which is really has been such a joy and exposed to really good home cooking through my mother but I was never the person in the kitchen but with my autoimmune disease I did end up cutting out a few significant food groups for a period of time they're back into my diet thank goodness but I through Um, you know, not really being able to eat at most standard restaurants, decided that I wanted to learn to cook that really delicious food that I loved for myself. And in doing that, got into my home kitchen and fell in love with cooking in the process. And then in falling in love with cooking, decided I wanted to make it a career. So I decided on culinary school Again, it's tied back to my autoimmune disease because I knew that going into restaurants with that lifestyle, the way that it is, was just not really, it was pretty untenable for me, even though that's one of the better ways to learn how to cook. Um, I decided culinary school was a better route. And yeah, I went to the Natural Gourmet Institute where mm. I learned to really cook at a higher level. It's, um, very fortunate to do that. 
Yeah, no, so, sorry to hear about your uh, immune disease. Look, there's a lot of people who, who have uh, immune disease and, and maybe, you know, that I can hear your cat. <laughs> I'm and sorry. maybe, you know, it, <laughs> that's okay. I have a cat also, I have to close the door. So, look, may, maybe, you know, it's an experience that can be shared. I have in my family and people with autoimmune disease, various, various ones. And uh, it's true that you have to be very careful what you eat. Huh? After what is interesting, I didn't know that uh, there was a, a culinary school that is plant-based. That is a trend that we see more and more. In fact, a lot of people are trying to eat uh, healthier. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it, I mean, the Natural Gourmet Institute, it's now called the Natural Gourmet Center. It's been around since the late 70s, I believe. Um, so definitely a little bit ahead of the trend or I guess maybe more aligned with that like first wave of that first really big wave of vegetarianism in the U.S. But I agree it's definitely on trend right now. I like I said earlier I'm able to eat everything again though I do try to really put plants at the center of my diet but I, you know I'm an omnivore. We ate oysters together so <laughs> Um, yeah, but yeah, I eat everything again. And yeah, I mean, it is uh, food affects the way you feel for sure, though. I do think that being food affects the way you feel in a positive way as well. So, you know, all the emotions tied to foods that one might deem quote unquote unhealthy are important as well. And it's important to eat in the way that makes you feel good and happy. What do you think about all those plant-based uh, mock meat, I would call that, you know, the Impossible Burger, Beyond Burger. Beyond an Impossible? Yes. Um, you know, not my personal cup of tea in terms of what I like to eat. Um, I would rather source some really nice ground beef um, that was raised well than eat an Impossible or Beyond. Um, most of that has to do with taste preference. It's just not a flavor profile that I really like. I can really tell a difference. That said, I have clients who um, eat a plant-based diet who love it. And so I do cook it for them. And I think it cooks up nicely. I don't know. What is your opinion on it? I tried them. So I tried the Impossible Burger. My wife is vegetarian. So uh -oh. um she's been vegetarian i think the last meat she had was uh, when we were in japan it was kobe beef so at least you know it's not uh, <laughs> it's good she still remembers uh, mm -hmm. and and then um in fact i was watching documentaries about food and she was listening and she came in the living room she said that's it i don't want to eat meat anymore wow so she started to eat i think the first time was the impossible burger she really thought it was a mistake, but they made a mistake mm -hmm. uh, when they served it because it really tasted like meat. Wow. And then we went to uh, Saxon and Parole that unfortunately mm -hmm. closed in the East Village. And I tried the Impossible Burger. I can tell you it really tasted like meat. Wow. So they did a good job. Better than Beyond Burger where, I mean, depending how you do it, if you use the ground meat for a chili, for example, you're not, or a tacos, right. because of the spices, you're not going to know that it's not uh, real meat. But Beyond Burger doesn't taste like meat, huh, if you eat the patty like that. After, it's, it's still not that healthy. 
Right, right. Yeah, when you look at the nutrition, it's not that healthy. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a doctor or nutritionist, so <laughs> I I won't weigh in specifically on the whether or not it's healthy, but I mean, it's definitely processed, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, more in that sense. Huh? Look, I'm not a nutritionist either, but more in the <laughs> sense that it's processed versus having, you know, a plant-based diet that is not processed and, and much more uh, healthy. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, Oreos are technically vegan so yep. <laughs> um it's definitely that's so how many years has your wife eaten a plant-based diet it's been vegetarian? three years three yeah, years three wow years. okay so then you went to japan three years ago yep. i guess yep and and look after she's good sport huh? we go to steakhouses she's gonna upside or whatever salad they have and whenever you know i can find a place so we went to philadelphia in july we went to veg nice that is a very nice restaurant to be honest i did not miss uh, not having meat during the meal everything was fantastic i i think a lot of time you know when people think about vegetarian food they maybe think about certain restaurants who try to recreate meat you know with satan or they're gonna serve tofu etc and sometimes the execution is not great. The taste is not great. Right. There, they just try to serve vegetables and make vegetables the, the star of the menu. Mm. And I think when they do that, it's very successful. Mm, yeah, there are a lot of chefs starting to do that or that have been doing that for a while, I think, in New York. I don't know. But the first two that come to mind for me um, are the first two restaurants, Dirt Candy, who and the chef, the executive chef there is a graduate of the culinary school I went to. And she does a really good job with very vegetable forward dishes that really try that highlight the produce rather than to your point, trying to do some sort of meat replacement. And then uh, have you eaten that superiority burger at all? No, just dirt candy. Mm, what did you think of dirt candy? Look, I thought that was very good. Very creative. Mm -hmm. The presentation is nice. I'm not going to talk about a restaurant I went a few years ago that was <laughs> really my first, I would not say my first experience in vegetarian food, but, you know, it marks you and you're like, oh, shoot, I'm not going to like that one. Right. And then I went to Dirt Candy. I really liked it. Uh, I remember I've never been a big fan or huge fan of uh, broccoli. And they had those fried broccoli with gochujang. But mm. it was really, I tried to recreate the dish uh, at home because I loved it so much. But everything was very, very good there. Good, good. I'm glad to hear that. Superiority Burger, I highly recommend. It's, um, you know, the kind of premise is they're, they're really doing a veggie burger, not a burger that's meant to... It's not an impossible situation. It's yeah. really vegetable forward. It's good. It's really good. It's kind of smash burger style. It's got American cheese on it. It's good. Okay. Look, the last two I discovered recently, it's, uh, I don't know if you know them, it's uh, Bar Verde. It's Mexican. It's plant-based. And the second one, that is, it's next to it. Huh? It's uh, the same owners. It's uh, double zero. They have pizza and the double zero huh, for the flower. And they are plant-based also. Yeah, I haven't eaten at either, though I've been to the 
the chef owner of Double Zero has a, a, a big spot in um, Providence, Rhode Island. It, it was interesting. It's really interesting. It's definitely, yeah. you know, to your wife's benefit. It's very on trend. Um, it's important for the planet, I think. <laughs> so it's good. Yep. No, I agree. What, what advice would you give anyone who would like to uh, go to culinary school? You know, try to forget their current job and say, hey, let me go there. <laughs> to culinary yep. school, um, my first advice is um, consider the cost of it. Most of them are very expensive. I would not recommend going into debt to go to culinary school. There are a lot of other ways to learn to cook and to learn to cook at a very high level. So if cost is a concern, I would say look into those other ways first. I was lucky that, you know, I had savings from my job in healthcare um, and family support while I went. So it was not as a financial stretch for me, but I would say, yeah, don't stretch your wallet. There are lots of other ways to cook um, or to learn to cook at a very high level, including going into restaurants. But, you know, a lot of people that work in my industry as personal chefs, did not go to culinary school and did not work in restaurants. So do you, you're not working for a restaurant, you're not planning to open a restaurant at this point? Is there uh, any particular reason you prefer being a personal chef? Yeah, I, I don't plan to open a restaurant that's not in in my, you know, five, 10 or even 20 year plan. Um, And I don't really plan to work in a restaurant. I did my uh, culinary externship at Prune Restaurant for a few months in the Lower East Side. And I really enjoyed that, but it was very eye-opening. That lifestyle is just not very health-supportive. It's not very easy on your body. And being a personal chef really is. And my, I mean, my passion is helping people learn to cook and eat in a way that feels accessible to them so you know the eating side of it being a personal chef is very it's on a very minute level but i get to go into someone's home and put a home cooked meal literally i cooked it in their home a home cooked meal on their table and that's important i think home cooked food is really important and so uh that personal chefing piece of it is definitely you know not the most impactful thing i do i would say the more impactful stuff is the things that reach more people. I just want to empower people to, you know, cook and eat food that they enjoy and that they cooked at home or I cooked at their home. Do you see a trend where uh, more and more people are trying to cook at home? I don't know if COVID helped uh, in a way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was just about to say, should we mention COVID? I do think that, yes, the last year and a half did help people understand that You know, getting in the kitchen isn't quite as hard, though. I, I also think that it led to a lot of kitchen fatigue. People being like, I need to leave my house if they're lucky enough to be vaccinated. Yeah. So I do think that, you know, there, the pendulum swings. So people were definitely, I baked sourdough bread last March. Um, I think a lot of people did. And now I haven't baked a loaf of bread in many months. And that's in part because even I, a person who works in food, experiences food-related or cooking-related fatigue. Um, that said, I do think that, yeah, people, it definitely helped people understand that they're more capable than they thought maybe previously, which is good. Yeah, that's true. And, and you know, we've uh, now, you can go on YouTube, for example, to see how people do mm -hmm. things. 
because before you had just maybe uh, you were going on the web, you are reading a recipe, but maybe certain things you did not know how to do it. And with uh, YouTube, and, and you know better than me, and with your uh, YouTube channel, it's even much easier <laughs> because you can see people doing it. And, totally. And you can try to reproduce it. I think TikTok has been amazing in that regard as well. I don't really, I, I lurk. I don't really make much TikTok content, but my younger brother, who's, I guess, like kind of a member of the youngest Gen Z generation, um, made Beria, Bedia, like with, you know, very, what I believe to be rather traditional methods. Just from watching a TikTok, there were no measurements, but in watching it, he felt felt really empowered by seeing how the person, the creator who had made the video approached it. And I, I mean, I was so impressed that he, you know, went out, sourced all the ingredients, maybe did a little bit of extra research, but there is something to your point about video content, seeing it being done. It's so much, it's so empowering. And I think it's naturally attention grabbing and gets people excited to be in the kitchen, if that makes sense. No, look, it, tot it totally makes sense. And it's funny you say that because my niece, Jenny, she's 13 years old and she was talking about the feta dish she was making. And she was saying, oh, I make feta uh, with uh, tomatoes. So I had no idea it was coming from TikTok. And I decided... the baked feta dish, yeah. And I tried totally. to make it on my side, but like I was like, okay, she said there's feta, there's tomatoes. I'm gonna put some olive oil, some mint, and I'm gonna make orzo because feta, grease, orzo. So I made my own, and then I discovered later that it was from TikTok. Different yeah. <laughs> recipe, and it's not the same than what I ended up with, but it was really funny because it's definitely, you know, a new trend, and I was really happy. Look, she's 13 years old and she loves cooking, right. that's great. It's amazing. I mean, thing, it, the, the things that have gone viral, it's very interesting. It's really nice. You know, that recipe was so polarizing. A lot of people saying that they didn't like it. And to me, it's all gravy, no pun intended. It's so good that people are talking about cooking and eating in this way where, you know, they're talking about it because they did it. They're saying whether or not they liked it because they did it. And it's it's nice. It's nice to see more and more people trying things in the kitchen and, and realizing that You know, what I think is really interesting is people are so afraid to fail in the kitchen. But my opinion is there are so few things you can do to really mess something up. You know, you can burn it to a crisp. But beyond that, most things that even if it's like not completely to your taste, I'm guessing that if you made that baked feta dish, if someone made that baked feta dish and they didn't really like it, it probably was still edible for them, you know. And seeing people realize, like, oh, even if I don't love something, it's, you know, I can't really mess it up that much. I think that helps people get over that fear of, oh, I'm going to completely wreck something or waste things. I think that's an important hurdle for people to get over. Yeah, I can tell you the, num the number of times I threw stuff because it was not good. It's okay at the end because, uh, you know, you try. Right. So I made arepa, for example, uh, last Monday. It was terrible. Oh, so hard. It was... <laughs> Well, I could not find, you know, the, the right uh, flour, so I tried with uh, yellow corn flour. I don't know, I missed something, mm. it was not good at all. We ended up with something, in fact, I made the feta after that. 
because they're like, all right, we need to eat something. So, right, it's easy, and and so then you learn, even if it's even if it's inedible, then you've had a learning experience, and you know. But yeah, I do think the flour is very important for an arepa. Yep. I've never made one before, but I have friends who have. So. Yeah, no, I did in the past. It was fine, but yeah, it's definitely the flour. So, mm -hmm. but look, it it can happen, and after that's the way you learn. Right. Totally, I agree. Yeah. So, Erika, I have a question for you. So, you're a personal chef. Can you maybe explain the process when you go to a client and define the menu for them? Oh yeah, I'm I'm so happy to describe the process. Um, I from end to end. Basically, it's a totally bespoke service. I do so. Clients usually find me somehow online. That they reach out. Um, I have one main client right now, mostly because other things are taking up all my time. But um, in the past, multiple clients a week. And when I take on a new client, I do an intake process with them, where I talk about their likes and dislikes, learn a little bit about their kitchen get an idea of how they want the, what format they want the food to be in. And then I, you know, record all that information. I draft a menu and get their approval on the menu. I do the grocery shopping usually online through a grocery delivery service, have it delivered to their front door. And then I arrive usually at the same time the groceries do. And when I get there, I cook, I usually do, a large one large session per week i've sometimes done two a week for a client but the basic idea behind a personal chef is that it's someone who comes in and stocks your fridge for the week or for a few days at a time the framing that i use online is professional meal prepper i can thank my friend tarn who um at the time was a pr producer at buzzfeed who coined that term but I go into people's homes and I basically meal prep for them and then I clean up, I leave, and then the process repeats itself. I send a menu, they give me feedback, I order the groceries. But that's that's the basic idea. The difference between a personal chef and a private chef is, you know, when you think of a private chef, it's more like something a celebrity might have where they they have a chef who lives on site or comes on site multiple times a day and cooks something fresh for them. I have done that before and it's just not for me. It's a really big, it's an even big, bigger commitment than being in a restaurant. So. Interesting. And is there anything that uh, one time they ask you to cook and you say, no, I'm not going to cook that? Oh, has that ever happened? Yeah. No, it, no, it really hasn't. Um, I, I eat and cook everything. Uh, definitely the reverse has happened where, you know, I put Brussels sprouts on the menu and they say, oh, Erica, I forgot to tell you that I hate Brussels sprouts and then I don't cook it. Um, but no, there's not really anything I can think of that I would absolutely refuse to cook. Yeah, I really can't. I mean, if someone asked me to bake them a wedding cake, that would probably be a no. But uh, barring anything really ridiculously extravagant like that, um, there's nothing I can think of that I wouldn't cook. And so you're doing meal prep for your client. And if I recall, you're uh, giving classes for people to know how to meal prep. Yes, cooking classes. Yep. yep. Yeah, so... The cooking classes I do, I do a, a series of meal prep classes with my friend, Abigail. You and I hung out with Abigail together. Um, she's not a, she did not go to culinary school and she did not ever work in restaurants at back of house, meaning as a cook, but she's very well versed in the kitchen. So she and I paired up and we teach 
meal prep type classes online over Zoom where we block out a two hour chunk for our students. They do the grocery shopping themselves. We, we provide a grocery list, all the recipes, we provide a game plan, and then we just cook through a huge menu. Uh, we do them once a month right now. We cook through a huge menu, enough food generally to last between four and five days for a couple people. And we also give kind of like meal prep remix ideas. So ideas for how to change one dish into another dish and all that good stuff. So that's been, I mean, that has been uh, something that's been giving me a lot of joy in the kitchen lately. Like I said, my passion is just helping people understand that cooking is not as hard as it seems to be. And those classes feel like a very direct way to be impacting a large number of people um, and helping them understand that premise. So I have a question. Who are the people who typically attend the meal prep classes? Yeah, that's such a good question. So it's a real mix. Um, a lot of people. So first, the first group of people I will say is people that I know, friends and family who are interested in supporting me. Um, luckily, that's <laughs> that's not the bulk of people, but those people do attend. That's nice. Um, but it's also a lot of parents come and a lot of times they bring kids, which is really nice and fun. And the kids kind of pop in and out of the class or, you know, parents are very patient and let them help uh, where they can. And it's also a fair number of people who are just interested in meal prepping and want to learn more or want to get themselves set up for a really good week of food. Uh, I had a friend recently tell me that she was excited to come to class because she had nothing in her fridge and it was basically just forcing her to get cooking, which is great. But yeah, I mean, it's mostly, I would say those categories of people Every once in a while, it'll be like a date night thing for people, but we do it Sunday evening, so it's not as much of a date night thing. But yes, that's that's the general vibe. And then I also teach um, in-person private cooking classes, and those tend to be more like birthday parties or uh, graduation or anniversary gifts. So that's that's the thing. We're hoping to do a next round of these and have them be available for people to purchase as holiday gifts. So I guess maybe that'll be up by the time this podcast airs, but that's, that's kind of an idea we have going right now as well. Yeah, no, that's a good mm. idea. That's a very good idea. What would you tell people who think that cooking is hard and takes a lot of time? Oh, I would say that they're not wrong. It is hard to get started, but that they're, once you are started, it can be very joyful. I would say if you don't find the process of cooking itself joyful, then try to focus on the process of eating and the reward you get to have at the end of it. Um, and then the other main thing I would say is I don't want to discredit their feeling that it's harder takes a long time but I do think that um, they probably are better at it than they think they are and it's once they get started it's a lot less difficult than they might think harder to mess up it can be a lot less time consuming than you think once you are practiced yeah and I remember a few years ago I went to a knife skills class where you know they teach you about prep Um, because it's true that when I used to cook, I used to get one ingredient at a time. 
you know, and as I was reading, I was like, okay, I need this, let me find it. And by prepping, in fact, you gain a lot of time and you screw up less, I would say. Yes, I I want to hear you say mise en place. <laughs> mise en it's place, true. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. It's important. I mean, I would say that once you, one of the main things I learned in culinary school was how to keep my workstation organized and um, keeping myself organized in the kitchen. It's really necessary if you're going to do it professionally. Uh, if it's recreational, you know, it's going to take you a lot longer and you'll have a messier kitchen at the end if you don't but I wouldn't sweat it if you're not making like a full huge mise en place before you start but I feel like you're right that's important did you enjoy your knife skills class curious about that I did you know it was it was interesting because I did that one and then I did a week at the uh, at the time the French culinary institute for uh, French basics and the first hour I cut my finger so I was thinking maybe the class was not that good oh I think every single student in my cohort cut their finger during knife skills. It's kind of a rite of passage. I think chefs that cook in professional kitchens cut themselves all the time. Um, I think, you know, it sucks. Usually it's not, um, hopefully it's not like an emergency room related or severe enough for the emergency room. And if it's not, you know, it happens to everyone. Yeah, no, but it was just that it was funny because I took the class before. And mm. as soon as I started, you know, it was like that. But it was it was a great class, I have to say, because um, Good. first you cook, then you eat. Yes, so, yes. And, yeah. And, and you know what I did after? I used that. So we cooked a chicken the French way, you know, with, uh, with the butter. Mm. But you're going to put butter, you're going to put uh, shallots. And, uh, and parsley, you're going to mix it together and then you're going to mm. put it under the skin. And uh, one year I did the Thanksgiving turkey Yum. like that. I needed a lot of butter, but it was quite good. Oh, it sounds delicious. Yes, the, that sounds like a very fruitful class for sure. Sounds really yummy. Yep. Do you have any quick recipe? For people, let's say, they don't know what to eat uh, tonight, something very simple to do that can be done in maybe uh, 20 minutes. Oh, 20 minutes. Let's see. I hmm, That's such a good question. A quick 20-minute dish. I would say my go-to for quick, what I made tonight, I had leftover rice from Chinese food a few nights ago. Fried rice is my go-to. We didn't have that much, so... I like to augment mine with a lot of veggies and um, it's so simple. It's just into the pan with, if you're going to use a protein, a meat protein or tofu, cook that off first, you know, sear it in a hot pan with oil, pull it out, add the rice directly to that hot oily pan that might have some really good like chicken or maybe pork juice in it and get that nice and crisp. Add in whatever veggies you're using. Tonight I had half a cabbage. That's definitely not traditional, but I threw that in. It became kind of more of a stir fry with some frozen peas, some garlic, some onion, a little bit of soy sauce. I had some homemade teriyaki sauce that went in. It, it is such a flexible dish. I like, you can really just toss in what you have around. It becomes inauthentic very quickly, but it's delicious. It's comforting. I topped it with a little chili crisp, a little Kewpie mayo. And yeah, I called that dinner. It's 
super easy. Like I said, it came, it actually came together in 20 minutes and I was cleaning my kitchen at the same time. So it can be quite quick. All right. Very good. Thank you for the tip. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for the question. Do you have any cuisine that you would not cook at all? And why? I, I, I really don't. I'm really open to trying anything. There is no cuisine I wouldn't cook. There are definitely cuisines that I haven't cooked that I would like to more, but there's nothing that I wouldn't cook. Are there cuisines that you wouldn't cook? I thought that question was very interesting. Well, I've been trying, and uh, thanks to COVID, I've been cooking uh, maybe a bit more. Mm -hmm. I've been trying, for example, when I go to a Thai restaurant, I love uh, masaman curry. Oh, so good. So I try to cook it. And I, what I do sometimes is that I, I try to do it my own. So my wife being vegetarian, I said, okay, let me put maybe eggplant, chickpeas, mushrooms. She loves mushrooms. So it was, you know, things like that. I made it also with chicken. Huh? And then I try to make some uh, Indian food also, where it's, it's very interesting because there's so many uh, spices that if you don't do your mise en place before, it's going to be a bit difficult because you really need, you know, I, I don't remember how many spices you need, but you, you need to put them and very quickly. Right, right. You need to toast them, but not burn them, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's tough. So I tried that. I make my own pasta. I love Italian food. Now I would I would try a bit of uh, everything. Look, I like to eat everything. I think I, I ate uh, quite a lot of things that a lot of people would not eat. So I think because of that, I would be ready to try to, to cook them. Me too. I mean, I think that being open-minded in the kitchen, especially if you eat everything is so important. So I try to be as such, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. I think that I, there are definitely some cuisines that I'm not as practiced at that I would like to maybe learn from someone who grew up eating them. Definitely, that would be nice. Yeah, and you have so many options, you know, in New York for uh, classes, because I remember the first time I made pasta we had to throw it in the garbage and I said, okay, let me, let me go to take a class. <laughs> so there's options, you know, where you can learn with people if, if we are not sure. And uh, look, maybe I found that uh, what I cooked was very good and, and somebody uh, native from Thailand or India would say, look, it's really not good what you're doing. Huh? But at least I, I enjoy it. So, so I, I think that's what is great about uh, about cooking, and it allows you to discover other cuisines also. Where, yeah, and when you go to a restaurant, then you understand a bit. Totally. You know what's behind the the kitchen door. Yeah, I love you've mentioned it a couple of times. I love that you've you know eaten something in a restaurant and gone home and tried to recreate it. I think that that's such a good source of inspiration, and it's also you know, it's a good jumping off point, eating something delicious in a restaurant cooked by someone who really knows what they're doing. You know, then you learn the name of the dish and you can maybe type it into YouTube or you might see it on TikTok and you learn more about that dish and maybe the culture surrounding it and the process. It's a nice thing about cooking and restaurants. And when you go to a restaurant being a chef, does that influence the way you will appreciate the meal? Oh yeah, I would say, <laughs> I would say it, it's 
probably my experience in a restaurant, working in a restaurant as an extern gave me more of an appreciation just for how difficult it is, the amount of work. The main thing that I did during my externship was the prep work. So that's like picking the herbs and cleaning the chicken carcasses and deboning things or cleaning the muscles. So all that really hard manual labor that goes into the dishes that might seem simple, but there's a lot of background work. So really, I guess what's changed is, you know, I look at parsley on a dish and I think, oh gosh, like someone stood around for hours picking that and you can appreciate it more because of that. So what what I propose is that maybe we finish with some questions where I just need one word, one word or two. I'm going to fire that. So sure. any kitchen tool or equipment you cannot live without? A rubber spatula, I would say. I can't live without that. Favorite dish to cook? I love, I love that you mentioned uh, chicken. I Roasting a chicken is one of my favorite things to do, especially in the winter. Favorite ingredient to cook with? I love miso paste. It's going to be the chicken. Oh, maybe with the chicken. Okay. <laughs> well, with the chicken, it's really just salt and pepper. doesn't need much. That's why it's so fun to cook. Okay, so favorite favorite ingredient to cook with is the miso paste. I love miso paste. Yeah, I do. I, I actually, I know this is rapid fire, but you mentioned Japan. It's I think we talked about this in person, but I lived in Japan as a little kid. So Japanese food and ingredients are very inspiring to me. Yeah, no, I have to say it's uh, it's incredible sometimes you know when you go to the markets and you can try different things sometimes it's very very surprising yeah it's an amazing cuisine <laughs> yeah uh, your favorite spot to eat in the city oh this is so funny uh my uh husband and i are working on becoming regulars at a french spot jp uh called cafe paulette in fort green hmm. i'll have to check that out It's good. Good burger. Okay. Well, it's not very French. <laughs> I don't know how authentic it is. Very good burger and um, good vegetarian options for your wife. Okay. And then best location in the city to buy fresh produce? Mm, I'm going to have to go with the green market, the farmer's market. Yep. Union Square. Oh, you know, I would go to the Union Square Farmer's Market multiple times a week when I was in culinary school. I used to live in Chelsea. Now I live in the Fort Greene area. I love the Fort Greene Farmer's Market too. <laughs> so it's a lot of the same vendors. Okay. So this is uh, the end of the interview, Erika. Thank you very much. I have a question. Last question for you. It's where can we find you? Oh, thank you so much for having me. And thank you for asking. Um, I'm Fresh Erica across most platforms. On Instagram, it's fresh.erica. Over on YouTube, it's just fresh space Erica. Um, and I have a newsletter as well. It's um, newsletter.freshericka.com. So lots of content creation happening over here. Thank you so much for asking. Oh, and the cooking classes. Um, the best way to find those is probably through my Instagram. The link is in my bio. Okay. Well, thank you, Erika. It was fun. A lot of good information. And uh, best of luck uh, for your YouTube channel. I know that uh, it started really well. So I hope it continues. 
and uh, your Instagram is uh, is great, so definitely I'll continue to oh. uh, to uh, to look at it. It's fun also. I like the little uh, questions you have sometimes. <laughs> my yeah. my weekly polls. Yeah, thank you so so much for having me. It's truly such a pleasure to talk to another person who loves food and can really talk food. I I super appreciate it. I I also love following you on Instagram. Thank you very much. So that's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Feel free to reach out to me if you have any question, comment or suggestion at jp at ijustwanttoeat.com and check out the blog at www.ijustwanttoeat.com. A bientôt. Au revoir.